Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Sunday, January the 23rd, 2022. It is currently 3.30 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the empty sanctuary of Victory Baptist Church located right here in Ovalo, Texas. And I apologize for that delay. I hit go live and then I just sat back in the chair. Like I I hit the button to go live on the air and I just sat back. And all of a sudden I realized, wait a minute, the intro isn't playing. And of course it's not going to play because I have to hit, well, the play button for the intro to play. I don't know what, I, I was like, I'm live producer cue up the intro but i there there is no there's no producer here there, there's no it's just me i am the host i am the writer i am the researcher i am the producer i i am technical support i'm everything for this show and for some weird reason i just sat back like okay go ahead go ahead just just uh, someone cue up the intro and and well there was no one queuing up the intro so i don't know how long we were uh it was dead air hopefully it wasn't too long But welcome, everyone. Yes, here I am once again at the empty sanctuary of Victory Baptist Church right here in the middle of nowhere, Texas. And it is time once again to turn our attention kind of to the famous book, The Imitation of Christ. Now, we're really not looking at The Imitation of Christ right now. We've taken a detour to look at a very important subject, and that is the theology of conscience. And the reason we're doing that is if I reach over here and pick up my copy of The Imitation of Christ by Thomas Akempis, and I turn to book two, chapter six, and I read the title for this chapter, I will read these words. The joy of a good conscience. And then it reads, the glory of a good man is the testimony of a good conscience. Have a good conscience and you shall ever have joy. A good conscience is able to bear much and is very joyful in in adversities. An evil conscience is always fearful and restless. So according to Thomas Akempis and the Imitation of Christ, he wants us to know that you want a good conscience because that's going to bring you joy. But if you have an evil conscience, you're going to have, and again, let me read the words exactly because I don't want to uh, misquote. You're going to find yourself being always fearful and always restless. Now, we, we could talk about that, but the obvious question I would have, wait a minute, so I can have a good conscience or I can have an evil conscience. Okay, how can I have a good conscience? What is a good con- conscience? What is an evil conscience? How does one, how does this work? How do I make sure I have a good one? Like, there's lots of questions you have to answer about conscience for you to have any true understanding of what Thomas Akempis is trying to say in that chapter. So, because Thomas Akempis was a Catholic monk, I decided it would be the perfect time to turn our attention to the Catholic teaching on conscience. And one of the reasons we're doing this is so that we can have a better understanding of what Thomas Akempis is trying to say. But there's another reason. I think Christians all around the world, when they start talking about conscience, now listen to me, I think time and time again, when they start articulating what conscience is, what it isn't, why you should listen to it, all the things they tend to say, it feels to me that over and over and over, when, when, the more they talk, 
the more they seem to be denying another very important biblical doctrine, and that is the doctrine of total depravity. They seem to almost act like that, you know, now that you're a Christian, you have a good conscience and, and sin is just magically gone from inside of you. And I, I, don't, I don't know why that happens. There seems to be a disconnect in the minds of many Christians between the doctrine of total depravity, the reality of still possessing a sinful nature all the way till glorification, and at the same time, having a, a proper theology of conscience. So what we're doing is we're working through the Catholic teaching, and then we are, I'm offering my critique. I'm offering my challenges to it. And I think what I'm doing in reality is not just offering a challenge to the Catholic understanding. I think I'm offering a challenge to most Christians' understanding because I think many Christians have been more influenced by the Catholic understanding of conscience than I, than maybe even a biblical understanding of conscience. Now, I know there's many of you who have already disagreed with me strongly on things that I have said, and I understand that. You have every right to be wrong. I'm joking. But um, I know I do appreciate you having a different opinion. I just, whenever people have given me a different opinion, they start trying to explain it. And the more they talk, I'm like, you are basically denying that we have a sinful nature. You're basically denying depravity. And I, I, I that's where I draw the line. I, I, I can't. I can't embrace something that's going to destroy the doctrine of total depravity and the reality of sin in all Christians because that's the one thing that is shown to be true day in and day out. Depravity and, and sin still uh, still very much present inside the life of every Christian. Those things are proven every day. So I can't then embrace a theology of conscience that destroys that other understanding. Now, we've made it. What we've done is we've turned to the Catholic Catechism. Catholic Catechism, we are on page 438, or paragraph, well, we started with paragraph 1776, then we looked at paragraph 1777, paragraph 1778, and then underneath paragraph 1778, there is a block quote, and this block quote comes from John Henry Cardinal Newman and his letter to the Duke of Norfolk, Um, and I I don't have a year for when that occurred, but they have a quote here, which we found to be very interesting in how we ended our last, our last episode, our last session in studying the theology of conscience. So are you ready? Let's go right back to it. Catholic Catechism. If you don't have a physical copy, well, then just look up Catholic Catechism online. You can uh, type in paragraph 1778, and you should be able to find it relatively easy. If you don't want to do that, just listen. Here we go. According to Roman Catholic teaching, according to the Roman Catholic Catechism, and according to this letter from John Henry Cardinal Newman, we read the following. Conscience is a law of the mind, yet Christians would not grant that it is nothing more. I mean that it was not a dictate nor conveyed the notion of responsibility, of duty, of a threat, and of a promise. Conscience is a messenger of him who both in nature and in grace speaks to us behind a veil and teaches and rules us by his representatives. Conscience is the aboriginal vicar of Christ. So according to Catholic teaching, which they have now established over and over and have kind of repeated themselves, is basically conscience 
It's this thing that's inside all of us that is in reality the first pope. It's the vicar of Christ. It's there to tell you what is right. It's there to tell you what is wrong. It's there. And I will argue that if you state that it's there, my question would be, how, how do, do you know what you're hearing? How do you know if it's true? How do you know if it's telling you something is right or something is wrong? How do you know it's really your conscience and not your sinful nature that is inside of you? That it's not your own selfish desires? Like if, if, if you start trying to, okay, I got to figure out right and wrong by listening to a voice inside of yourself, I think that that's just going to lead to utter, complete spiritual confusion and basically spiritual anarchy because you're looking inward to try to find out what God wants. And I will argue the reason he gave us his word and written form is that's where we have God's revelation outside of ourselves and written form so that we can look at it, study it, try to interpret it. Therefore, we're not relying on inner feelings and an inner voice or trying to figure out what we just can read. Go, well, God says it's wrong. Doesn't matter what my quote unquote, my conscience feels. Doesn't matter if my conscience says, well, I think that's okay. Doesn't matter. What does God's word have to say? I think conscience, and let me state it again, is God's law written on our hearts. It's there. I do believe it's there and I do believe it can convict and I do believe it can condemn and I do believe it can excuse. I do believe it's there. The problem is I I don't know what I can trust coming from within me because there's also the sinful nature there. The flesh is still there. So conscience is there and I'm grateful that it is there trying to convict, trying to, to maybe encourage, maybe trying to excuse, but all I can really do is stop trying to listen to an inner voice and open up my Bible and figure out what God's word has to say and determine right and wrong that way. All right, I'm, that, that's, that's my position and I'm going to continue to stay uh, committed to that position. They go on to say, uh, paragraph 1779, it is important for every person to be sufficiently present to himself in order to hear and follow the voice of his conscience. Now, once again, it's this idea. You've got to be sufficiently present in yourself. You've got to be sufficiently like self-aware so that you can follow the voice of his conscience. I will argue, no, don't try to follow the voice of your conscience because you're looking inward to try to figure out something. Follow the words of scripture. That's what you need to follow. Follow the words of scripture, not some inner voice. And I'm trying to take a drink of water here. I apologize for that. Sometimes when I'm talking, I'm like, I'm just going to keep talking while I'm drinking water. Okay. Because then I get all fired up. But let me just say, I, I know this goes against probably everything you've been taught. I just, it just makes no sense to me to go, okay, wait, all right. Now, okay, I got I got to be sufficiently present here. I got to I got to listen and I got to follow my conscience. I got to follow my conscience. That's like follow your heart, follow a feeling, follow your emotions. All of that just to me is absolutely 100% opposite to what I believe is a biblical worldview, which is God has given me his revelation in written form. I am to read it, I am to study it, I am to memorize it, and I am to follow it regardless of how I feel, 
regardless of any inner voice. I will continue. This requirement of inter- interiority, this is the idea of being of an interior life, which uh, Thomas Akempis has spoken of in previous chapters, is all the more necessary as life often distracts us from any reflection, self-examination, or introspection. In other words, you really need to have this interior life because there's so much out there trying to distract you. So they're like, okay, there's all of these distractions. Ignore the distractions. Look inward. Look inward. Look inward. And I, to me, to look inward is, is absolutely foolish because all you're going to find inward is your flesh, you're going to find your sin nature, and you're going to find a confused message at best. And, and yeah, I could, I could go back and use some illustrations I used in the last uh, episode, but I will not. Let's continue. Return to your conscience. Question it. Turn inward, brethren, and in everything you do, See God as your witness. Now, that's a quote from St. Augustine. I have great respect for St. Augustine. I just think that this is utterly ridiculous. No, don't turn inward. Don't look inward. Don't look to your conscience. Don't question your conscience. Don't try to figure out what your conscience wants. Look to your Bible. Now, yes, if we go back to the time of Augustine, the average Christian, they didn't have a Bible. They couldn't pull open God's word. They didn't have access to it. But you do. You have access to God's word 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You have it on your phone. You have it on tablets. You have physical copies. It's everywhere. That that is God's word. I can trust that. If I look inward, you say, well, your conscience is going to. Well, first of all, we already acknowledge there's the possibility of having a bad conscience or an evil conscience. So that already makes it questionable. You got to determine that your conscience is actually good. And then you have to then try to distinguish the voice of your conscience from the voice of your own sinful, selfish desires. And you say, well, then I will check my conscience with God's word. Why even go through that process? Just go directly to God's word. We'll continue. All right, here we go. And this is going to uh, bring in a, t- a term you've probably never heard of, but that's okay. Paragraph 1780. The dignity of the human person implies and requires uprightness of moral conscience. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. Okay. So the dignity of the human person implies and requires the uprightness of moral conscience. Now, we got to, we got to stop right here. The dignity of the human person is based on the fact that you're created in the image of God. However, every person who is born is totally depraved. Their heart is desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. They're arguing, it sounds like, that they're saying that because of the dignity of the human person, this is every person requires that they have an uprightness of moral conscience. Now, wait a minute. They've already talked about the the possibility of an evil conscience, right? Or at least Thomas Akempis did. So 
does are you are you saying that everyone just is to be it's to be understood that everyone possesses uprightness of moral conscience because i don't think there's any way to say that well then who so if someone so did, does everyone lose the uprightness of moral conscience and if you lose the uprightness of your moral contra- conscience does that destroy the dignity of the human person i yeah, I, I'm not, I don't, let's see where they're going to go with this. All right. So the dignity of the human person implies and requires uprightness of moral, of moral conscience. Let me make it very clear. I think every human being is not born with an uprightness of moral conscience. Every person is born totally depraved with a sinful nature and a heart that's desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. I don't think I can have a heart that's desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. At the same time, I maintain somehow in me an uprightness of moral conscience. I I just, I completely, I think total depravity begins to destroy this concept. We'll see if they're going to explain it, but let's continue. Conscience includes the perception of the principles of morality. They say conscience includes the perception of, of the principles of morality. Let's stop right here. Now they've got a word in parentheses here that I won't. I'm not going to introduce yet. I'm not, I'm not going to introduce it here. In fact, when I introduce it, I think I'm going to introduce it this way. Let me go back to this page. I think it'll be fun to do it this way. Um, let me back that one up here. Let's go. Okay, here we get. We'll play. We'll play the word here in a minute. I'm gonna. I'm just gonna play from a dictionary and see if you're familiar with the word. But before we do that, so let's let's work with this. All right. I believe that we are created in the image of God because we are created in the image of God. There is a moral part of our nature in the sense God. Is, we're creating God's image. I mean, God is a moral being. Therefore, we are all created as moral beings. So there is a sense of morality built into us. It's not a correct understanding of morality. It's corrupted by sin. It is confused. But the point is, no matter where you go, I don't care how strong someone is an atheist. They can be the most dedicated atheist on the face of the planet. Time and time again, they will find themselves making some kind of moral judgment. They may offer a moral judgment against God. They may offer a moral judgment against their spouse, against their neighbor, their coworker. Uh, they may offer a moral judgment against a politician. They may offer a moral judgment against a political policy because morality is built into us. The problem is that morality that is built into us is tainted and messed up because of our sinful nature. What they are saying is that conscience includes the perception of the principles of morality. Okay, well, let's say you want to call that conscience, that it it includes the perception of the principles of morality. If it is, it's still not an accurate representation of those principles because I don't think the conscience is upright because the conscience is inside of us where there is a sinful nature. I think the best conscience can do is give you a sense that there are some things that are wrong. There are some things that are right. And I want to condemn some things and I want to excuse some things and I want to praise some things. Where is this idea of morality coming from? Oh, I was creating the image of God and God just happens to be a moral being. Okay, that, that makes sense. Now they say that this perception of the principles of morality and then they have in parentheses this word. 
Are you familiar with this word? Are you ready? Here we go. Are you familiar with this term? Cinderesis. Cinderesis. One more time. Cinderesis. Cinderesis. S-Y-N-D-E-R-E-S-I-S. Cinderesis. Cinderesis. What is cinderesis? What, what is this term? Are you familiar with it? It's right there in the Catholic Catechism, so you should... Okay, I'm joking. All right. Yeah, I'm not expecting everyone to spend all of their time reading the Catholic Catechism, but cinderesis. Now, according to most dictionaries, cinderesis, I'm going to read from two. The first one is this. An innate knowledge of the basic principles of morality... Cinderesis is an innate knowledge of the basic principles of morality. The Catholic Catechism is saying that's your conscience. And your conscience possesses an innate uh, knowledge of the basic principles of morality. That deep down in every person, they have an innate understanding of the basic principles of morality. It's just built into them. Now, I will argue that's because you're created in the image of God And God is a moral being, so you have this innate knowledge of morality. It doesn't, I mean, a kid, very little, they'll start saying, that's not fair. That's not fair. That's not fair. They've got this just innate sense of fairness built into them. We can call that conscience, and and we can say that that's partly shaped by the fact that God has written his law on our hearts. But let me make it clear, that's great that that's in us, but it's not something that can be trusted. It's not perfectly upright. It's tainted and corrupted by the sinful nature. All right, now, uh, uh, cinderesis, let me go to another dictionary really quick um, because I said I was going to go to two. Uh, uh, Cinderesis, inborn knowledge of the primary principles of moral action, right? So that it's the, It's just an inborn knowledge. I I believe it's not so much an inborn knowledge. I believe it represents the fact that we're created in the image of God. It's a part of our image as human beings that we're creating the image of God and therefore it's there. And God has written his law on our hearts. So there is this inborn knowledge of morality. I do 1000% accept that. My issue is when people then try to say, listen to it, follow it, don't go against it. That's where I have an issue because, wait a minute, it's got all of the other problems going on inside of you and me. So let's read this again. Conscience includes the perception of the principles of morality, cinderesis. Uh, Not only does it include the perception of the principles, it also includes their application and all the given circumstances by practical discernment of reasons and goods. And finally, judgment about concrete acts yet to be performed or already performed. Now that, let's read this again. So they're saying conscience includes perception of the principles of morality, how to apply them in the given circumstances by practical discernment of reasons and goods. And finally, judgment about concrete acts as yet as performed or already performed. So it gives you the ability to kind of understand morality, how to apply morality and how to judge actions. Almost as if it is, as they called it, the aboriginal pope. It's a magisterial, a magisterial authority 
residing inside of you. And I will argue the magisterial authority residing inside of you is a serial killer. It is a murder, it, murderer. It's a liar. It is, de, it is depraved nature. I don't think it's a, oh, here's the upright, the uprightness of man's conscience. No, I, it can't be trusted. It cannot be trusted. They go on to say, the truth about the moral, the truth about the moral good stated in the law of reason is recognized practically and concretely by the prudent judgment of conscience. We call that man prudent who chooses in conformity with this judgment. Now, according to them, you are a prudent man if you if you choose conformity with the judgment of your conscience. So if you want to be prudent, listen to your conscience. Conform to your conscience, and then you'll be prudent. I will argue the prudent man is the one who opens up God's word, reads it, seeks a correct interpretation of it, then memorizes it, meditates on it, meditates on it, and follows it. Not the inward conscience. One more paragraph. All right, we're already almost at 30 minutes. Here we go. Conscience enables one to assume responsibility for the acts performed. Now, what they're claiming is that conscience now helps make you responsible. We, we could get into a whole discussion about that. My issue is whatever it does or doesn't do, it cannot be completely trusted because it's found inside of me where sin still res- resides. The only way for this to work for me is you would have to believe that this only works for saved people and that in salvation, the old nature is completely eradicated, which I completely reject that view. If man commits evil, the just judgment of conscience can remain within him as the witness to the universal truth of the good at the same time as the evil of his particular choice. So according to them, you may, you may do evil, but your conscience remains in a sense untouched and it sits there, continues to remind you a witness of the universal truth of good. So, so the conscience is almost not impacted, at least so far what they've indicated, really by your sin. And I disagree. I I completely disagree with that. Conscience is constantly impacted by your sin. In fact, it's tainted by your sin nature and your depravity right from the start. The verdict of the judgment of conscience is a pledge of hope and mercy and attesting to the fault committed. It calls to mind the forgiveness that must be asked the good that must still be practiced and the virtue that must constantly be cultivated within the grace of God, with the grace of God. We shall reassure our hearts before him whenever our hearts condemns us for God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. And that's a quote from 1 John 3, 19 through 20. Then we'll read one last paragraph. Man has the right to act in conscience and in freedom so as personally to make moral decisions. He must not be forced to act contrary to his conscience, nor must he be prevented from acting according to his conscience 
especially in religious matters. Now, once again, this seems to establish, hey, don't ever force anyone to go against their conscience. They must act according to their conscience. They must. Don't go against your conscience. That assumes that your conscience can be trusted. That assumes that your conscience is an infallible Pope living inside of you, and I outright reject that. Now, I don't think it's wise to necessarily force someone to go against their conscience, because if you're forcing someone, that typically only is going to lead to bitterness and rebellion, and it's probably not going to be beneficial. It's probably not going to be helpful, right, to force someone to go against their conscience. Now, how far do you take that? Now, I'm getting ready to make a lot of Christians mad. I'm getting ready to make a lot of Christians mad, all right? Now, I hear Christians all the time. Uh, You cannot force me to go against my conscience because to go against my conscience would be sin. And I understand there's scriptures we have to look at, but but that's a, a common mentality put forth by many Christians. Now, wait a minute. How infallible is your conscience? Is it possible that you may need to go against your conscience because your conscience is wrong? Now, if you say, well, that's possible, but you're, you're still not to go. In other words, if you make your conscience the infallible rule that you cannot go against, you realize what trouble you get into because, wait a minute. So do you want laws prohibiting gay marriage? You're forcing them to go along with your conscience. You're forcing them to not be able to do what their conscience says is okay. How, 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 how infallible do you want to make conscience? Because I've seen plenty of Christians who have no problem imposing their view on other people. No, you can't do that. We want that banned. We want that censored. We want that song removed. We want that movie taken down. We want to, wait a minute, wait a minute. What about anybody else's conscience? Hey, we don't want you to be able to get married to someone of the same sex. And no, we don't want this. And we don't want this. And wait, wait a minute. What about everyone else's conscience? What about anyone else's conscience? Hey, we want prayer in the public school and everyone should have to, wait a minute, what about everybody else's conscience? Like I've seen Christians say, on one hand, they try to defend, I cannot go against my conscience. Okay, what about other people's conscience? Now, I think it's foolish to go against someone's conscience because I just think, now, but at times we would argue we've got to go against someone's conscience, right? Someone's conscience may tell them that they need to kill someone and we'd be like, no, you can't do that. So I think everyone would would agree that there's a limit that no, sometimes you've got to go against someone's conscience. Sometimes you've got to, you can't allow someone, you've got to prevent them from doing what their conscience is telling them they should do. They, your, their conscience may be telling them that they, that it's okay to fall in love with this person and get married. And you may say that it's wrong to do that. Like, you, everyone knows that there's some limit in some case on what you can and cannot do, right? In other words, someone's conscience may say it's okay to marry 10 women. Well, currently there's laws against that. They're, or they marry their, their, their daughter or marry their son. We'd say, well, you know, you can't do that, right? So there, there, we, we put limits. In other words, I can think of all kinds of examples like, well, no, I don't care what your conscience says. You can't do that. You can't break into my house and steal my stuff. You can't kill your neighbor. So we, we put limits on actions no matter what the conscience says. 
So can we put some restriction or no restriction? But I hear Christians many times say, you can't go against your conscience. Always? Well, not always. Oh, okay. So, so, so how does this work? I, I, I just find it interesting that, I, again, let me read that to you again. Because this, I've heard this kind of thinking in lots of Christians. Man has the right to act in conscience and in freedom so as personally to make moral decisions. Does he have has complete freedom to make moral decisions? Does the Catholic Church even practice that? People may have the freedom to act in moral decisions, but the Catholic Church will say it's a mortal sin, condemn them, borrow them from the Lord's Supper, borrow them from the Eucharist, and may even lead to expulsion from the church. So do they have freedom? You can say, well, they have freedom, but there's consequences. Okay, maybe. He must not be forced to act contrary to his conscience, nor must he be prevented from acting according to his conscience, especially in religious matters. That, that sounds so good. And, and many Christians would say amen to that. But I can give you examples where like, no, 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 no. You can't do that. No, 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 no. No, they should be forced to do. Well, well there you go. You, 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 you. Oh, see what I think conscience is. I've already said it before. It's almost like a card up someone's sleeve. And they're like, oh, I want to do this. Conscience. I don't want to do that. Conscience. It's like the get out of free jail card. If they want to do something, they can say conscience. If they don't want to do something, they can play the conscience card and then they can get what they want. Is that? I, I, why is conscience viewed as an infallible guide? As long as the minute you say it's fallible, the minute you say it's tainted by sin, the minute you say you can't all that you, the minute you acknowledge you cannot always trust it and you cannot always go by it. The minute you offer any questioning to it, any doubting of it, then it no longer becomes a a guide of any value. The conscience is there to demonstrate to me the reality that there is a transcendent morality. The fact that I know deep down that something, that, that there's a right, there's a wrong, that I have this nagging, that I constantly understand things from a moral basis, that that's right and that's wrong. That tells me that there's a morality somewhere. But that morality is not found in me perfectly. It's found outside of me and it's found in God and then in his word. That's where I turn to. That's where I turn to. And I cannot go against God's word nor do I believe I should be forced to go against God's word. And if I'm trying to be forced to go against God's word, that's where I have to draw the line. It's not about conscience. It's about God's word. Now, if my conscience is in agreement with God's word, then okay, but I'm still not going to say I'm following my conscience. I'm going to say I'm following scripture. The problem is, see, many cases where scripture is silent, in other words, scripture doesn't really maybe have a specific telling me exactly what to do in this very specific situation. What Christians will do is say, well, since I don't really have a scripture, conscience, my conscience But then you have to go, well, wait a minute. Is your conscience acting in accordance with the principles laid down in Scripture? Then we'll say, those principles don't count. Okay, well, so now you've disregarded principles of Scripture to follow the, the aboriginal vicar of Christ, which is now the Pope, which is your conscience. And that, to me, 
is massively problematic. Okay, now I know some of you are thinking, wait, 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 what about this script? What? Okay, that's fine. We'll look up some scriptures later about, I'm just trying to make sure we understand the Catholic teaching and I'm offering my challenge to it. Now, next, the next, no, not, we're not going to, I'm not going to go there now. I'm just going to give you a preview. The next thing that we're going to look at is uh, the next section. So the first section is the judgment of conscience, which they basically are acting like it's infallible. Pretty close is what they're acting like. The next one is the formation of conscience. Now, wait a minute. So if the judgment of conscience is infallible, but it's only infallible after it receives correct formation. <laughs> so so wait a minute. It's a, this is going to lead to all kinds of questions about it. But I'll stop right there. You can email me your thoughts about conscience to newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. I know this is a controversial subject. I know it goes against probably everything you've ever been taught. I know you probably a thousand percent disagree with me. I just want you to really think it through. How how infallible is your conscience? You say, well, it's not completely infallible. Well, then at that point, why would you ever look to it at all? Because wouldn't that become a very dangerous source of determining right and wrong? If you can't trust it completely, then you can't trust it at all. So I would say you look to God's word. All right, I'll stop right there. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. God bless.